10-5, touchdown Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Almir coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And hello again. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you, and we got some good stuff to talk about today, and it has to do with the A-State women's basketball program. Big news coming out Sunday morning. That's when the athletic department released the news that the A-State women's basketball program was removing the interim tag from Destiny Rogers, becoming the eighth head coach in program history, the first African-American and the first African-American female head coach in A-State athletics history. And Coming up a little bit later, we're going to be joined by Coach Dez in studio. Looking very forward to that. Let our listeners kind of understand the timeline. Uh, We're sitting here recording this on Monday following Coach Dez's press conference. So even when we hear from her in a little bit, that'll be the timeline. She basically will have come from her press conference up here to uh, talk with us. Looking forward to it. Excited about it. You know, I'd I'd made my feelings here, you know, known a couple of weeks ago that you know, Coach Desen made a believer out of me that I think she can get this done. I mean, look, uh, taking over a team midstream, losing your leading scorer, losing your best post player that turned into about, about a part-time player, and having a, an active roster that was half freshman, the top two seeds in the women's tournament made it to the tournament final. It wasn't like a couple of Cinderella's. It was one versus two. A-State led the one seed on the road in the fourth quarter, and beat the two seed who won the tournament on the road in the final game of the regular season on their senior day. Shows you they're not very far away from jumping up and being contenders in this thing. Meanwhile, the A-State baseball team had a busy week. They played four games this past week. They were scheduled to play five. It started with a couple of home games in the midweek against two really good teams this year, Southeast Missouri and Southern Illinois, I think, have a combined record of like 23-3, and and those were the two teams that A-State hosted. And in games like that, anytime you play, whether it be midweek or a weekend series, you just can't beat yourselves. And that's what the Red Wolves did in those two particular games. The free bases was a big issue in the SEMO game. 13 walks. I think there was a hip batter in there as well. And then in the Southern Illinois game, we saw some defensive lapses. There were three errors and then some other defensive mistakes on top of that that kind of snowballed a little bit. And SIU was able to win that game. You go back to that that SEMO game. I mean, the 13 walks cancel out the fact that the pitching staff had 13 strikeouts. Yeah, right? I mean, there was a lot of good stuff happening, but then we're went, striking out a lot of batters. I mean, uh, but it was just like that particular night; the ball was never in play until when it, when, then when it was. You know, they went on a stretch at one point where they had five consecutive extra base hits because that's what that Semo team can do. So you can't, on top of that, give a team like that free base runners. This was uh, when they left out of Jonesboro Tuesday night. It was the seventh straight time they had scored double figures. Tommy Raffo and I were were talking before the game Sunday, before the doubleheader at Missouri State, about those two games. 
And he said, look, we strike out 13 against SEMO, 16 against Southern Illinois. That's 29 outs right there. You've got to be able to defend and get those other 25 outs yes. in the field. It's only 25 left. You're right. 29 by strikeout. You only had to come up with the other 25. The weather altered the weekend schedule. The Red Wolves were scheduled to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Missouri State. But the decision was made Thursday morning to just make that a Sunday doubleheader at Hammonds Field in Springfield. I always enjoy going over there. You've yeah. called some games over there in the past as well. It's the double-A home for the Cardinals. The Springfield Cardinals play there at uh, Hammonds Park, or Hammonds Field, rather. But the Red Wolves lose both games. And again, there were some defensive lapses that that hurt in that doubleheader. A drop double play ball early in game one led to three runs after the inning should have been over. And there were just three big innings there, the second, third, and fourth for Missouri State. And they were able to go on and win that one 12-3. Then in the second game, tied at one, top of the third, Eli Davis actually had tied the game at one with a leadoff home run. And then you load the bases with nobody out. You've got your three, four, and five hitters coming up, and you can't cash in the run. And it seemed like... That was just a huge moment. Missouri State was then able, then able to score four times in the fifth. They go on to win it 7-1. to one. It's a tough week now. You can chalk it up to the fact you played tough teams all week, uh, and that's fine, but you better have – there are lessons there to be learned, and if you don't learn them, then there's going to be more tough weeks to follow. There's enough good baseball players to go around that, that teams are good, and they don't need the help, and Arkansas State – Gave a lot of help this past week, so hopefully that's something that they can uh, address and get corrected as they move forward. Conference play coming. Now, conference play coming up this weekend against a nationally ranked opponent. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program, but when we come back, we'll be joined in studio by the new head coach of the A-State women's basketball program. Destiny Rogers is coming up next. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender subject to credit approval. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Joined in studio now by our special guest this week, the interim head coach, no more. Mm. The eighth head coach in A-State women's basketball history, Destiny Rogers. How you doing, Des? Oh, I'm doing great. Even better, you know, today with it officially being official, you know, I don't have to hold my breath about it anymore. I can finally get to work and, and get this thing right. So when did you find out the job was officially yours and what was the first thing you did once you heard that information? You know, well, uh, I didn't find out until just a couple of days before it was announced. Um, and uh, when I found out, I was just 
so ex- excited, you know, uh, like I said in the press conference, just going through uh, conversations with, with both Tom and Kelly about the direction that we want the program to go, the expectations and, and, and kind of where we uh, see ourselves, you know, down the road. It just made me excited to, uh, com- you know, officially take over the program and do it the way that, you know, myself as well as my staff sees fit and to also have the opportunity to have time now. You know, when you take over in December and, you know, obviously every coach has their own philosophy. And so taking over in December, just not being able to implement the things that we really wanted to. But now having a a spring workout session, summer, fall and getting to really implement what we want to implement and, you know, what what our true DNA is going to be. I'm just really excited about the product that we're going to put on the floor in November. You're a coach's kid. So when growing up, what what what's your first your memory or your first thing you remember growing up thinking about the coaching profession? You know, I was a point guard and uh, I was that coach on the floor. And uh, it just was kind of a natural knack for me to, you know, go to my coaches and, and ultimately my dad and just say, hey, what do you think about this? Or, or they're defending us this way. Let's try this. And, uh, you know, sometimes coaches don't like that from players. But um, I think that my coaches uh, believed in the knowledge that I had for the game and they trusted me. And uh, that kind of gave me the thought, you know, when I became a senior in college of, hey, I think that you could do this full time. And uh, when I finished playing, I had the opportunity to go overseas if I wanted it. Uh, but I was just eager to get into coaching. You know, my whole family, uh, is, my dad is a coach, my grandfather is a coach, my uncle is a coach. So I've, I've grown up around nothing but coaches back coaches basketball was you know pretty much all I knew we would spend all summer playing AAU basketball you know our vacations were centered around basketball Uh, so I knew that uh, I didn't want to find out what life was like without basketball and so uh, you know coach rushing took a chance on me and allowed me uh, to become her GA at the age of 22 and uh, the rest is history so even prior to that prior to playing would you grow up thinking about what Everybody else in your family did. I mean, what did you grow up thinking about what a coach's job was? So, um, you know, just seeing how my dad uh, has interacted with his players. You know, my dad is a, a, a player's coach. Uh, very easy to play for him. Uh, you know, he, he, he thinks that relationships are important, which is the same uh, thing that I think is important. And uh, he would just you know, get in the gym and work really hard with us. Like there were times where we would be in the gym and, you know, I think that if, if you practice in a gym like that today, you probably get in trouble. Like there were, there were no fans, no air conditioning. It was hot, uh, hardly no water. And uh, he just built teams that were just super tough. And we knew that, you know, he cared about us and he could coach us the way that he coaches us because of the relationships that he built, you know, with his players. And obviously I was his daughter, so it was easy. Um, But just seeing the way he carried himself, not only on the court, but off the court, just in the community, getting out in the community and getting people to support him. And uh, just the way that he carries himself as a professional and as a coach, you know, just kind of seeing that from my dad and then my grandfather uh, and then my uncle, you know, when he finished, you know, just kind of seeing how they carried themselves. As, as coaches it just made me uh, want to do that. Now, I did go to college not wanting to be a coach initially. Uh, my mom is a, a speech uh, pathologist. And so I, you know, very close with my mom. And so I said, hey, I'm going to follow my mom's footsteps. And uh, yeah, I took a couple classes and figured out that that was not the route that I wanted to go <laughs> and uh, quickly jumped right back over into coaching. <laughs> now, you grew up in South Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You're from Strong. Yes, Were sir. you born there? 
So I was born in Magnolia. Okay. Um, you know, my dad had the opportunity to play college basketball at a, a community college back home. But my parents actually had me at a very young age. Uh, my mom was 17 and my dad was 20. And so my dad made the choice to set aside his career to be a father. He worked at a factory for about 15 years or so to ultimately provide for his family. And then, you know, he decided to go back to college and uh, he got his degree to be a to be a coach because he coached us every summer. He got to a point where he said, well, hey, if I'm going to do this all summer, I want to do this full time. You know, I want to coach you guys in, in junior high and in co- uh, high school. And so he went back to get his degree. And uh, my mom, uh, she was getting her degree uh, while we were younger. And uh, she got her degree uh, actually at ULM. So we would travel from Magnolia because my dad was working in Magnolia. And we would travel from Magnolia to Strong, which is about a 45-minute drive. We would travel there every day. She would drop us off at school at Strong because my grandfather was the principal in Strong. And then she Mm. would drive to Monroe to go to school. So, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I saw my parents work really hard to get everything they have today and they always if we wanted something we were gonna have to work for it nothing was ever given to us Uh, obviously the support was always there but hey if you want this go get it and uh, just seeing my parents be so young and work the way that they've worked and and to be successful now in their careers it just inspired me uh, to always work hard and and if there was something or a goal that I feel like I could reach to just hey go get it. Now, people are getting to know you as a coach now, but you had one heck of a high school career. You won four state championships as a player in high school. Now, you played at Strong as a freshman and sophomore, right? And then you went and played for your dad at Camden Fairview. Yeah. So uh, as a freshman, you know, we we get moved up and that was a group that we grew up playing basketball together and that we had a really good team. And obviously, you know, my dad was not the official head coach of that team, but obviously he, you know, played a big role in us getting to that point and, and helping out with the staff. Just getting that opportunity to play like I did uh, as a freshman and get the amount of minutes that I got as a freshman and, and ultimately help that team win a state championship. Uh, that's probably the, the championship that I'll probably cherish the most. The first as one? Far as, as far as high school, just because just being so young and getting to that state championship game, not to boast or anything like that, but I did drop 35 points in that game. And, uh, <laughs> and you were the MVP. Yeah. I was the MVP of that game. Uh, so, you know, just to, to do that as a freshman and to come out on top and just kind of see all of the hard work uh, that me as well as my teammates, we grew up playing AAU, uh, you know, ever since we were in the second grade. And so just to have that full circle moment of winning a championship with those players who ultimately were my sisters was was a huge deal. So I'm baffled by that. So, you, I mean, you, you had an MVP trophy before you had a driver's license. Correct. <laughs> what makes that, I mean, you touched on it, but what makes that the most memorable of the four? I think just because, you know, like I said, that group, that core group of players, we grew up playing ball together and uh, we were more than just teammates or friends. We were sisters. And uh, just to get the opportunity to play together and ultimately win a championship together was huge. Um, so that one is just, you know, you, you never forget that first one, how it made you feel. There's a picture that they, they put in the newspaper of, of the team holding me up and I'm pointing at the, at the stands and my dad. And so I, I still have that newspaper article to this 
this day and just, you know, I look back on it and just remember kind of how we felt in that moment. And then just obviously getting to win a championship with my dad as a head coach was also a special moment, you know, because my dad is the reason that, you know, these teams were as good as we were because he coached us from, I mean, he put a ball in my hands when I started walking. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he is the person that 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 groomed us into the basketball players that we uh, ultimately became, and just him getting the opportunity to be a head coach in Camden and, and us going there, and and you know that first year we went thirty one and zero, and uh, the second year uh, we lost our point guard to an ACL, so a lot of people thought that we weren't gonna win another one um, because we were going up against Shakina Strickland. I know you you have to know that name. <laughs> And uh, so uh, we actually beat Shakina in the finals two years in a row, my junior and senior year. So that that senior year was special because I knew this was my last time playing for my dad. And so to get him another one back to back and then ultimately win the MVP of that one as well was just a special moment. What's interesting is that a couple of minutes ago, you said you're at the college level, you're playing point guard. You could go to the coaches and say, I'm seeing this. What if we did this? But then one minute ago, you said, hey, that's championship special because we lost our point guard. Mm-hmm. That's not you. Yeah. Well, so so uh, I was actually the two guard in high school. So it was my cousin. Her name is Jasmine Cancer, really good player. And I hate that the state of Arkansas didn't get to see her uh, play in college because she was really good. But we would kind of bounce back and forth between the one and the two. But she was the primary point guard. Um, but, you know, I was... You know, I would go to my dad and she'd be like, hey, what are you seeing here? Or do you think we could do this? Or we go home. And, you know, you think that you're not going to talk about that when you go home. But I, my dad would be watching film and I would butt myself in and I would watch it with him and, you know, try to figure out what we could do for the next game. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that happened. And so I didn't become the primary point guard until she went down with her ACL injury. My senior year, I spent the whole year as a point guard. And then uh, Matt Daniel actually saw me uh, play in Pine Bluff at the state tournament and uh, he had just got the job at UCA and I was actually his first offer. I want to ask you this and I want to get into the UCA stuff here in a minute but we've been talking about your dad and just being around you I I know that you're a fiery competitor you want to win and you want to win bad but your demeanor is extremely unique and in particular in-game demeanor Mm -hmm. because we watch college basketball, and you almost expect the head coach to be stomping their feet, yelling at players and refs, and you're about as cool of a customer as I've ever seen <laughs> on the sideline. So I got the opportunity to be a head coach at the age of 26 uh, at a 6A school uh, by the name of El Dorado High School, and uh, I was a fiery young head coach and I would stomp my my feet and clap my hands and get onto the refs and just you know was very passionate about what I was doing and I found that while we did see some success there uh, just the kids that you're coaching today it didn't really reach them the way that I thought that it would because I was used to players from my generation who we were used to our coaches being absolutely tough on us no matter what. Whether you're doing good or you're doing bad, it's always tough. And so what I've learned is I think that you have to develop relationships with your players and you know ultimately you, you kind of have to coach each player differently. What might work for one player doesn't necessarily work for, for the next. Um, so 
you know, as far as getting onto the referees, I definitely found out that that doesn't work. Uh, so if you notice, you know, there might have been a couple games where, you know, the crowd might have thought some things were questionable. I try not to pay any attention and try to control the things that I can control. And that's to coach my team, you know, every possession and, and try to put them in the best position to win. And then as far as, you know, the adversity part of it, I just tried to show my team that you can go through adversity and remain calm and, and have grace and poise and still come out on top. You don't have to lose your mind. You don't have to lose your cool. Although there was a couple of times I absolutely called a timeout and got into them, and I will when, when I need to. Um, but I just want them to to have fun. And uh, I want to be the type of coach where I'm more of a – you know, obviously you got to coach through the game, but I want to be more of a cheerleader than anything. Like I want to be able to, you know, my team is playing hard. They're executing the game plan and I'm over there fired up. I'm trying to get the, the crowd involved. That's the type of, of coach I really am. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. And, and, you know, when I get to the game, I feel like I'm about to play. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still get butterflies in my stomach like I'm about to tip, you know, but as soon as the ball tips, you know, that nervousness goes away. And, and I feel like, I'm kind of that captain of the ship that's just trying to get them to navigate the way we need them to navigate to try to win ball games. And well, so it's one thing to say you're going to be cool, mm-hmm. but it's another thing to go out there and and just be as calm as you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I just think that my team was really young. And uh, if they saw me getting rattled, I could sense them getting rattled. And there was a couple times where I got very frustrated with the way that we were playing when we dropped a couple after Kia Patton go, went down. And uh, I would get really frustrated and, and, and coach them really, really hard. And uh, I think it kind of made them become a little timid. So I went a, about it another way of just trying to instill confidence in them and let them know that we believe in them. And uh, when things weren't going right in our game, I didn't want them to see me rattled because if they saw me rattled I could see them become rattled on the floor uh, so I tried to stay as calm as I could and just you know keep coaching them coach them hard and uh, I, I found that, that that worked for this particular team so when it comes to officials a lot of times I mean coaches are going to jump up and hoop and holler and work a ref and it's not going to get them to call they're yelling about Correct. you're yelling now to get the next one mm-hmm. so how do you get the next one mm-hmm. if you're not yelling so what I do is I've come to a different approach so when I don't agree with the call I'll just grab them to the side and instead of embarrassing them I'll just pull them to the side and have a quick conversation because I found that you know at the end of the day referees are human and if Uh -uh. you got (laughs) you got this young passionate (laughs) coach yelling at you and telling you that you don't know how to do your job well nine times out of ten they're not going to give you the next one so I try to pull them to the side and say hey what did she do or hey did you see this I thought that she got pushed right here tell me tell me what you saw Am I wrong on this? And just try to have a conversation with them of, hey, they're being a little physical down here and I think you're missing it. Or, hey, she's flopping. I think you need to pay attention to that because injuries happen that way. And uh, I found that, you know, doing that, it, it's worked more in my favor as opposed to, you know, hooting and hollering and, and yelling at the riffs. So, and I would say not on, let's say off the floor. It's a pretty small sample size. I mean, have you gotten feedback from officials that, they enjoy that approach? 
I haven't gotten feedback from the officials, but I have noticed that they're a lot nicer to me outside of the games. You know, like when I was fiery and, and kind of getting after the, the refs when I was at El Dorado, I could tell that they would try to avoid me uh, when we weren't, you know, on the court. So, um, you know, I just everybody's human. You know, people make mistakes. Uh, now, while I don't particularly like the mistakes sometimes that are made. Uh, I just try to, again, just control the things that I can control. And me getting upset doesn't change the call. So, you know, again, I just try to have a conversation to kind of see where their head is at and just say, hey, I think you missed this. Like, or maybe the call that you just made down there, this same situation just happened here. Why didn't we get the call? And uh, I could just tell that they they respect that and uh, they, they look and they want to give you that next call. Well, you're sneaking those in because – Watching you coach a game, I don't know that anybody would think they see those conversations happen. Yeah, You're I try sliding to, it in there. I try to be, you know, slick about it because, you know, sometimes <laughs> when they make a mistake, they know they made a mistake. And, uh, you know, I just try not to embarrass them because I don't like to – I don't want to get embarrassed in front of people. I don't want anybody yelling at me and, and, and all of this stuff and getting the crowd involved and the crowd might boo you and stuff like that. You know, I could see where a referee could be like, well, I'm not giving you another call. <laughs> And I've had that happen to me. So it may be a little bit of uh, just going through that as a high school coach. Catch more flies with honey. You know what I mean? So I I had a couple situations where I got onto the refs and they didn't give me another call. And it cost us. And I just don't want to put my team in that situation. You mentioned Matt Daniel, and he's a big part of your story. And he eventually hired you here at Arkansas State. But he was also the one that brought you to Central Arkansas. And UCA is a big part of your story because after a good playing career there, you actually started your coaching career mm-hmm. at Central Arkansas. Matt saw me. He he got hired at UCA. He was young. He was a year younger than me. He was 31. And uh, he came to Pine Bluff and uh, we played Salem Springs. And the 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 game before that, I actually tweaked my ankle, and I was playing on a bum ankle, and I think I scored I don't know somewhere around twenty five to thirty points that game. It was probably one of my best games that year in a state tournament, and uh, he immediately on the spot offered me a scholarship. And uh, just being from where we're from in South Arkansas, those kids don't really get recruited as much. And back then, social media wasn't really a thing. You know, mm-hmm. the showcase tournaments that we that we go to now, they weren't really a thing back then. So if you weren't in the Little Rock area or the Northwest Arkansas area, you weren't really getting recruited like that. And so he came and he saw me and uh, he offered me on the spot. I wanted to stay close to home, and and uh, I, I took it shortly after because I wanted my parents to be able to come and watch me play in college. And I also believed in you know his his pitch about what we were going to do at UCA. So you know I, I I'm happy that I chose that. Now what a lot of people don't know um, is you know Coach Daniel actually kicked me off the team my freshman year. So he kicked me off the team uh, for disciplinary reasons, and uh, I went to junior college for a year, my sophomore year, and he actually brought me back to UCA. So um, there's a story there uh, that he played a huge role in. You know, I always tell my players, I try to set the example of that. I don't want players to make the same mistakes that I've made in the past. And I try to inspire my my young women to uh, take advantage of every opportunity that's, that's coming your way and uh, make sure that you do everything with integrity and you do things the right way and good things come. All right. So if you, you know, go to JUCO and you're coming back at that point, did you come back with the the mindset that, hey, if this guy will offer me, I want to go make it right by him? Or, I mean, how did you get hooked back up? 
I can't. Well, he reached out to me and he said, you know, I knew that you could, you know, take that time and, and, and go get yourself together. And uh, that year, that sophomore year was a huge year for me. You know, I think that that year is kind of ultimately what made me who I am today. And uh, when he called me, uh, you know, initially I, I played hard to get. That's just kind of who I am. Uh, <laughs> but I came back around and said, hey, I'm coming back. And uh, just him giving me that second opportunity, uh, I wanted to make the most of it, not only for me, but I wanted him to be proud of giving me that second opportunity. Uh, so when I went back, I took full advantage of it. I did what I need to do in the classroom. I did what I need to do on the court. And we won a championship together after right. that. I, I do got to ask this because you've already told us that you know your parents like you're old enough you saw your parents as adults go get their college degrees mm-hmm. we know your dad then at that point's a high school coach mm-hmm. what's that conversation like would you get call and say hey uh, pops i got kicked off you know i was so nervous to tell them that i did not tell them <laughs> They so got. They ask, you just hope they didn't ask how stuff was going. You know, going. hey, one one thing that you'll learn about me is I'm a transparent person, uh-huh. and I'm not gonna tell you a lie. I'm gonna tell you the honest, hardcore truth, and I think that that's why people like to, you know, I don't want to say be around me, but you know, they 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 want to learn more about me because I, I try to be as relatable as I can and just be honest. You know, I found that being honest and in, in, in my truth and who I am has has made me who I am today. So why be embarrassed about the things you've gone through? Because I now get to get the chance to help the young, the next generation coming up not make those same mistakes or, or, or help to inspire them to be the very best that they can. So, no, I did not tell them because I was I was that nervous. And so Coach Daniel called a meeting with them and uh, they walked in and didn't have a clue what they were walking into. And I will never forget, you know, the heartbreak uh, in my mom's voice and my dad just being disappointed and uh, just kind of going through that moment and uh, ultimately having to decide, you know, do you go to another four year or do you go to a a junior college and try to get re-recruited? And so for me, uh, I felt like I was good enough to get re-recruited. So I chose the junior college route. And I'll say that was the best thing that I could have done for myself because I literally went from being at a division one school where everything is handed to you, you know, spoiled in a sense, to going to a junior college where there wasn't much of anything. You know, we went from eating at Olive Garden and Chili's and stuff like that to eating McDonald's for pregame meals. <laughs> and so I was humbled very quickly. And I always appreciate that year that I went through because it, it really did make me who I am today. It's a tough way to learn a lesson, but you mm-hmm. can tell that that's a big part of your story. And mm-hmm. play two more years at UCA after you come back. You're an assistant coach for a few years, but then you go to El Dorado Mm -hmm. and you're a a high school head coach from 2016 to 2019. So how did that help you become a better coach? How big of a step was that for you in your career? You know, when I took that job, my dad called me and he said, this is he he said this. He said, you don't understand how huge this is for you. He said, but later down the road, you'll see. And uh, I didn't really think about it. I'm just like, you know, I'm just this little 26 year old that, that got the opportunity and I'm just 
fired up about it and I'm going to go try to do the best that I can do, you know, because I've, I've never been in that seat before. And uh, just having those three years taught me so much how to navigate this new generation, how to handle a program, you know, put coaches in place to help your program succeed uh, while also, you know, overseeing everybody and, uh, you know, just diligently working hard to try to set your team up to be the best that they, they can. And so, you know, just going through those three years and learning, you know, the the lessons and everything that I learned as far as coaching, you know, relationships and everything that goes into this profession, I think helped mold me uh, into a head coach that would uh, feel comfortable and natural of taking over a situation similar to what it happened, you know, like what happened in December. I'll say this, had I not had that head coaching experience, Although I think I know who I am as a person, I would have, you know, kind of grabbed the bull by the horns. It may have felt a little bit different just because I might have not done it before. But it just felt supernatural just at a higher level. And I want I want to get to December here in a few minutes. But I just I remember when Terry Mahajer was here as the mm-hmm. athletic director and, and he was hiring any head coach. One of the things he looked for was high school coaching experience especially with the head football coaches that he hired here he, he wanted them to be high school football coaches in the past mm-hmm. just being on that level and now obviously you're dealing with them in the recruitment process how big is that, that that you did spend time on that level I think it's huge because not only do you spend a lot of time with players you spend a lot of time with your students because you teach and so you learn how to develop relationships with, with kids that are easy and you learn how to develop relationships with kids that might fight you on it a little bit. And so just kind of going through that process at El Dorado, I think, really helped me become a lot more patient as it pertains to, uh, you know, just navigating uh, the kids of, you know, kind of this new era. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just super thankful for the time that I had at El Dorado. I, I don't regret it at all. A lot of people, when I took it, they were like, why would you get out of college basketball? Why would you do that? You're never going to get back in. I just felt like that was what was best for me. I, I felt led to do it. And uh, it was a great experience for me uh, those three years. So you do get back in because – you were Matt Daniels' first offer. Then you end up being his first offer at Arkansas State. But y- your time here, y'all go through year one, which and everything that goes with that and mm-hmm. all the new and laying foundation. <laughs> year two is a COVID year and nothing is normal. Mm-hmm. And then so here comes year three, still kind of some COVID stuff, but you're hoping to maybe get back to business as usual right up till business wasn't usual. Correct. Take us, if you will, through that Monday, coming back from Utah State over the weekend, that Monday, your timeline of kind of when you knew and how you knew all this was unfolding. So a lot of people don't believe me when I say this, but I'm telling you the truth that I I had no clue until right before it happened. And uh, he called a meeting with the team and uh, just having that relationship with him, uh, you know, before we went in with the team, I walked up to him and I said, what are we doing? And uh, obviously he shared it with me and uh, he felt like at that point it was time for him to step away. Uh, he wanted more time, you know, obviously at home with his with his with his wife and his kids. And uh, just felt like it was the right time for him. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you're ready for this. He said, you could do this. You're ready for this. You've been built for this. Go do what you need to do. So 
there's a fan function on at, at the in a state women's basketball fan gathering. Mm-hmm. You didn't know it. No clue. And I think that he he wanted to do it on his own terms. I guess at that moment he just decided it was time. You know, I'll never forget how I felt when he actually told me. I cried like a baby because, you know, I ultimately came here to help him build a program. I didn't come here to be the head coach of Arkansas State, ultimately. You're right. But that's what I was thinking at your press conference. You're talking about You look at the way it's unfolded. Right. You have there is no path for you to become the head coach at Arkansas State because even if y'all come and win and win and win, he's not probably packing up and moving. This is the this is where he's going to stay. So like the the fact that we're talking to you as the head coach at Arkansas State, it, this is almost like the only weird way that could have unfolded. I'm gonna say this about Matt Daniel. I think that at that point he knew what he wanted to do. It's just another example of what he's done for me in my life of setting me up for success. And I think that, you know, obviously he could have went through the whole season and and did it now, and I would have never got a shot, maybe. You know, I probably – I agree. I might have been able to go through the interview process, but they don't know anything about me. Why would they give me a shot? And so I think for him, he took that into consideration. Now, while we have not had the conversation, I just can't help but to think that there had to be a thought you know, based off, you know, his confidence in me when he decided to do it. There's been several times in my life where, you know, just like he kicked me off, he brought me back. I just can't help but think that, you know, at that point he had his mind made up and he said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to give her an opportunity to earn it because he knew that ultimately that's what I wanted. And so, you know, while I hate it happened the way it did, I'm I'm forever grateful for the opportunity. Well, the other part of this story is that Monday night, December the 13th, you have the team meeting. He lets everybody know he's resigning. The very next night, you have a game. Mm-hmm. So this is all happening in less than a 24-hour span where you find out you're the interim head coach. You're coaching the next night against Mississippi Valley State. Kind of take us through the emotions and just how the team responded mm-hmm. leading up to that particular you game. You know, when he, when he told them, every, everyone was upset, including myself. And uh, so after he walked out, you know, uh, obviously Tom said some things to the team. And then I got a chance to talk to the team. And I told them that it's absolutely normal for you to feel the way that you're feeling right now. And I just told them that, listen, I'm here. I'm here to stay. I trust y'all. I want you to have that same trust in me, that same belief and faith in me. And uh, we can we can really make the best out of this situation. And uh, to be honest with you, when we walked out of the locker room that night, I wasn't sure how they would respond just because it was less than 24 hours. We had to play a game. So being able to put those feelings to the side shows you how resilient this team is. And so the next day uh, you were in shoot around and uh, you kind of saw it for yourself. But the energy was just different. The energy was different. It felt natural to me. It just I, I don't know any way to explain it, but it just felt good. And uh, I knew after shoot around that they were going to play well. And to be honest with you, it was a little nerve wracking going into that game because the team that we were playing had just lost to a team that beat us. Yeah, in overtime. In overtime. 
I was at that game because the men had played at Mississippi Valley against that team Mm -hmm. a couple of nights before. So I actually saw that game. And so that's a little nerve wracking (laughs) because it's like, we really need to win this game. We we really need to win this game because we want the kids to be on board, you know, with with what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I was nervous that it would actually be a close game. Because mm-hmm. of the way we were playing, yeah. And so when we come out, and I saw the 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 fire in them and the energy that they had, I was like, "Wow!" You know, I really didn't. To be honest with you, I really didn't expect them to play like that and to 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 have that type of energy and to have that much fun after everything we had just ex- experienced the night before. So that just tells you a lot about this team, and uh, you know, ultimately how they they felt about you know me and, and just the relationships that I had with them and uh, just kind of wanting to come together and do something special. You're right in that I, I was you know, setting up to do my show, so I wasn't that shoot around. And I told people that day, whatever, said, you know, what I saw was a team locked in and I saw Destiny Rogers running that thing like the head coach. You said at your press conference that, you know, even though you've always had confidence in yourself, that night, that performance, that reaction from that team, that response is what made you believe that this thing could work. Yeah, because, you know, obviously I've been a part of this for two and a half years at this point and we weren't playing well. And so obviously, you know, you you, you kind of have a concern of, well, can I change the trajectory of this? You know, can I get these players to to maybe play a little bit harder or, or whatever the case may be? And so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be telling you the truth if I told you, you know, obviously I'm human. I had a couple of doubts of just being able to get them to play well the next night, you know, after going through the things they went through and uh, just seeing them fight and play the way that they played that night. It was confirmation for me of you got this. You got this. Uh, you're the person for this. And uh, you can you can help this team be the best that they can be this year. It was amazing to see the reaction soon after that first win. And it caught the attention of the rest of the college basketball world and, and some of the biggest names in the college basketball world, including the head coach at South Carolina, Don Staley, who I know you've formed – a relationship with over right. these last few months. And soon after you were named the interim head coach, you, you got the, a piece of the net from the 2017 mm-hmm. national championship win. But you've had actual conversations with mm-hmm. her since then. You know, if you would have told me early December that, hey, you're you're going to have conversations with Don Staley. She's <laughs> going to give you a piece of her 2017 national championship net. I would have told you you are crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Don Staley. I got a. You would have okay if I okay. You just said you were crazy. You said if somebody would have told you that, mm-hmm. you'd have told me I were crazy. Yeah. I told you that. You did. I told you you were going to hear from Don Staley. You, and you were going to get a piece of the net. You told me that, and, and I'm but I'm saying before all this happened, yeah. like if you came to me, you said, "Hey, all of this is going to happen." I would have been like, "No way. <laughs> yeah. No way. You're going to have a conversation with Sherry Cole, a 45-minute conversation with the Sherry Cole, who, you know, former OU head coach. Yeah. For the 45 minutes that we talked, she spoke nothing but life into me. Gave me things and advice of things that I could use with the team to help us be ex- as successful as we possibly could be. And uh, just having those conversations with those type of coaches and them taking time to reach down and pull up a young coach, it meant the world to me. And uh, just 
the other day, you know, I was sitting at home and Dunn Staley's name pops up on my phone. And I'm like, is this even real right now? You know, it's still it? not real. It's still did, not. I want to know, did you click the buttons and screenshot Don Staley calling? I did not, uh, you know, but it just it just still feels unreal sometimes to 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 be able to talk to someone of that caliber and uh, just get advice. And, you know, she she wrote out a quote for me for this opportunity and uh, we still hadn't even met in person. So her doing that and us not even meeting in person just says a lot about her as well as Sherry Cole. You go in the final four. So I am looking to go to that. You know, obviously it's going to depend on what we got going on here, uh, but we are looking to to do that. But even if, you know, something happens and we don't, I do know that, you know, we're, we're always in the same areas recruiting wise. So we'll, we'll definitely bump into each other and we'll get the chance to meet and hopefully take a picture and things of that sort. The team continued to play well after the win over Mississippi Valley. You started conference play at three and one. Things really seem to be going in the right direction, but then you lose your leading scorer for the season. Kia Patton gets injured during pregame warmups at South yeah. Alabama, and I know that kind of changed the traje- trajectory. I know the team continued to play hard, but mm-hmm. it's hard to overcome an injury Absolutely. like that. When you talk about a kid, if you go back and you look at her stats at that point, she was averaging right at 20 a game. She was shooting at 50% from the three and 50% from the field. That's crazy and it had mm-hmm. a 30 point half and had a 30 point half yeah you know and losing a player like that who brought that experience and kind of that that dog mentality uh it just hurt it hurt and uh you know I'll never forget I was talking to one of their assistant coaches and I heard a scream and I just continued on talking with the coach not thinking anything about it and I and uh, Coach Ness came and grabbed me. She was like, you need to come. And I'm like, what? And I look, and KP is on the ground holding her leg. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And uh, she actually stood up. She went and got on the bike, rode the bike. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, it's just another tweak. We'll just go through a couple of days, and we'll have her ready for Saturday's game. And uh, we get home and get her evaluated. And I get a phone call, and they say, hey, I'm not for sure. But I think it's an ACL tear. And uh, I was devastated, not just for us, but for her, uh, because I felt like she was finally figuring things out and she was playing really good basketball. And uh, I felt like with her on the floor, uh, we would have been a top, at least a top five team in this conference. Second straight season, this team has lost its leading score in the fifth conference game of the season. We got to knock that curse off. I'm telling you what, if I'm leading you in scoring four games in, I'm not even showing up. I don't want to play the fifth game. Lose my number, I'll see you Saturday. You know, to be honest with you, when it happened with KP, I didn't realize that that was the same exact scenario. So now that I'm well aware of that, when we get to that fifth game next year, I'm going to be doing a whole lot of praying and (laughs) please don't, you know, I might be a little timid. You can see somebody's (laughs) somebody's going out there in bubble wrap. Well, it's actually, you go back, and I know Brad remembers this, we had a baseball player who was an all-conference, actually an all-American one year, and Zach George, eighth game of the season, two years in a row, he tears his ACL. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It just, it just was so. So, so un- there may be something to this that that we need to look into. I, I don't know, but I'm telling you, we got to break that curse. We have to break that curse, and and, and we don't want to send it anywhere. But it needs to leave Jonesboro, mm. uh, you know. But you know, 
I think that we're going to have really good players and, you know, KP will be back. Uh, she's projected to be back around August. So she'll get to go through September and October and then and, and get her ready for November. Uh, I love the way your team fought, though. And even after the injury and you had to play with seven players for a, a good part uh, of the end of the season, never stop fighting. And I know you, you you fall in the conference tournament to Coastal Carolina, but before that, the final game of the regular season, you go to Arlington, you take on a UTA team that just won the conference tournament, and you win on their senior day. And I, I'm sure that's a big momentum builder going into next year. Oh, yeah, huge. You know, just to go into a place like that. And, you know, when you talk about the top teams uh, that were in the conference this year, you know, obviously everyone's chasing Troy, you know, because they've been at the top of the league forever. But I've said all year long, UTA was a team, in my opinion, that was the most uh, scary because they were just so intelligent as far as their basketball IQ and they were experienced and you could just tell they get the game. So we would throw things at them and they'd counter everything that we threw at them. You know, and, and I'm talking about their players. Like, you can see their players out there talking each other through, hey, they're going under the screen, you need to do this. Hey, they're, and, and when you see that from players, that's huge, you know. And, uh, you know, we want to get to that point where we have players uh, on our roster that uh, can do that on the court. You can tell that they have coaches on the court for them. Um, but just going into their place uh, with a young crew and uh, obviously – you know, we're still struggling at this point. And my message to them was you have an opportunity today where you can just go out and play hard and you absolutely have nothing to lose. You're not playing for anything today other than confidence. That's it. So let's just go out there and have fun today. And uh, I could just kind of see something different in their eyes. You know, my coaches came to me and they was like, hey, this warm up is different. This warm up is different. It feels good today. And uh, to just see them fight and play the way they did and finally see us get over the hump at the end of the game and not make some of those mistakes that we had been making that was costing us a game was just very inspiring and just made me even more excited for where we're headed in the future. So as we sit here, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the roster is four freshmen mm-hmm. and two kids that set out. Your last year's signing class, right? Along with uh, Kia Patton. But, well, yeah, yeah. So even yeah, yeah, and Kia Patton. Well, right. so, so, so we had. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. Four freshmen because one of them, one of our freshmen is sitting out for ACL. You're correct. Correct. So, what happens from here? You know, with the transfer portal, I think that people have to understand and and honestly get familiar with this is a common trend that kids are going to enter the transfer portal. You can have a great relationship with a kid and they'll still enter the transfer portal. You know, the common trend right now is, uh, you know, kids will exhaust their four years at at an institution and they'll say, hey, I want to take this last year, my COVID year and just go experience something new. And, you know, we're we're experiencing that right now. And uh, the narrative has tried to be painted that they entered the portal whenever I was announced. And that's just simply not true. Uh, It it actually happened before I even knew that I was going to be the head coach. Uh, The conversations were not bad. The conversations were good. Uh, You know, we thank them for the time that they spent uh, at Arkansas State and we wish them well. And that was that. And uh, there's no ill will, no ill intent. Any, There's nothing there. Um, but for us, I'm just excited about the kids that we do have coming back as well as the kids that we are recruiting. Um, and you, anytime you take over a program, you want kids on your roster that want to be there. 
You know what I mean? You want kids on your team that want to uh, play for you and, and want to work towards winning championships uh, under under you. So, you know, we're excited about getting the opportunity to, to do just that. And uh, I'm still super excited about where we're headed. And I'm just telling you, the way we're going to work uh, this offseason and, and what we're going to bring in, is, it's going to be a treat. In your press conference on Monday, you talked about – the support of the administration and mm-hmm. how Kelly Danfuss and Tom Bowen have been behind you and you felt that support. You've been recruiting like the head coach for a while now. And I know you've been on the road recruiting and trying to bring in some really good players mm-hmm. to Arkansas State. Obviously, that kind of shows their support as they've been putting those resources behind this program and behind you as you've been doing this. Absolutely. I mean, they told me, they said, operate as if you're already the head coach. This is your shot to show us, you know, if you want this job, go earn it, you know. And from day one, you know, I just appreciated uh, them allowing me uh, to coach this team and run this program how I saw fit. They could have said, hey, you're going to do it this way. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. They didn't. You know, they, they say we have full confidence in you and faith in you uh, that you you know what you're doing. So go do it. Um, you know, so just having that confidence of the administration and them saying, hey, you know what you're doing. You're passionate about it. You do things the right way. Things are going to fall into place has made it a lot easier for me to uh, kind of work in a difficult situation as if I was the head coach. We brought kids on visits while I still had an interim uh, tag. And uh, those kids had great visits. They're still, uh, you know, within reach. They just wanted to know that this was official before they made that commitment. And you have to understand that. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to show them that that this is how we operate. You know, I saw myself as being a head coach way before we even started having conversations about me being an official head coach. And I just, you know, every night I would go to bed and I would tell myself, you are the head coach of this team. And I just believe that when you speak things like that over yourself and you do the work and you do things the right way, good things happen. And they did. You can relate to the Arkansas kids, high school recruits in general, JUCO recruits, kids that might got in trouble looking for a bounce back. Mm-hmm. And as a result, transfers. You have to be very confident that regardless of a kid's situation, you can sit down and have some sort of relatability to what they're dealing with. Absolutely. You know, I pride myself in in being relatable uh, to players and family. You know, I ultimately want when we walk into someone's house or, or people come on campus, I want their families to know that we're their family away from home. And we want families to to have, you know, full confidence and trust that their kids are going to be taken care of. And we're going to do everything that we can to set, set them up for success, you know. And uh, we, we just we're honest with them and we just say, hey, there's an opportunity here. I never I've never recruited somebody and told them, hey, you're going to come here and you're going to start. Never. I don't believe in that. I believe in telling the, our recruits you have an opportunity here. You have to come here and work for it. Because I've never given anything in my life and I just don't I don't believe that, uh, you know, setting someone up for that is is what's best for them. So we believe in you come in and you earn it and you work hard and uh, the opportunity is there. So if you earn it, you get it, Uh, you know, but just having the opportunity to get out there and uh, recruit the way that we want to recruit, which will be, you know, we're young, we're energetic, you know, every time we have a recruit on, on on campus or talking to them on the phone, they love the energy of me as well as my staff. And you can just tell that I think that kids are eager to play 
uh, for coaches like that right now. You kind of see in a trend, you know, when you talk about Dawn Staley, she's she's really big on social media. You can see her dancing. You can see her having a good time with her kids. She can't DJ. She can't DJ. I might be the only <laughs> coach in the country that can do that. Now, I will say that I have set that to the side. Um, but <laughs> if I need to make an appearance to to, to show a recruit that I, I'm like that, I can. <laughs> but, you know, um, just being relatable to, to the type of kids that we want to bring here and, and just, you know, being who we are. And I think that people are excited about that we're, we're genuine in what we do. Kelly Danfus mentioned during the press conference this week that he told Tom Bowen to do one thing, go out and get – the best candidate for the job. Mm-hmm. They did that, but they also hired the first African-American head coach in program history and the first African-American female head coach in A-State athletics history. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Oh, it means a lot to me. You know, I believe that representation matters. And so, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you kind of started seeing a trend of a lot more African-American women becoming head coaches. And so when you see someone uh, in a leadership role that looks like you, uh, it just inspires you. And, and it gives you the hope that you, too, can do that. And I've always believed that. I've always known that about myself. I didn't know that it would happen the way that it happened. Uh, but obviously, you know, I'm, I'm really excited and and I don't take this lightly at all. You know, you don't find situations that happen like this, you know, where where, where, where the situation happens where, you know, you have a coach leave and you take over and then you struggle uh, and then you go through the interview process and then you earn it. You know, it's, and I'm young. I'm 32. But one thing I can tell you is I won't treat it that way. I'll always be grateful for it. And I'll show up every single day ready to work and ready to do everything that I can to make sure that not only these kids have a great experience, uh, but we that we win for them. I will flip that thing around. By the way, it's also the first time since June of 2010 that Arkansas State's hired any female head coach. So it's been nearly a dozen years since that has happened. All the stuff you just said is true and and. And and at some level, you you have to carry the weight of that. Mm-hmm. But how important was it for you to, in the process of coaching this team, in the interview process, say, "That's not why I want you to hire me." You know, obviously, you you have to say that because you know, again, social media. You know, the interesting thing about it, you can paint whatever narrative you want, right? And uh, I didn't want to be hired just because, you know, I was an African-American woman and I'd be the first. I wanted to be hired because I was the best person for this job. And I made that clear. And I made it clear what my plan and my vision was for this program and that I will never stop working until we get there. And when we get there, we're going to work even harder because we want to maintain that. Um, And I think that just after having conversations and seeing how important women's basketball is to Arkansas State and that they're going to get behind us and support us, whatever, you know, in any way that we need to help us be successful. uh, It just, you know, further clarified for me that this was where I wanted to be. It's clear you want to be here, and we couldn't be happier for you. Congratulations again on becoming the eighth head coach in A-State women's basketball history. You got something else? No, don't. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm going. I'm piggybacking off what you're saying, and I, I don't want to say anything uh, with you sitting in here, or I don't want to say anything on here when you weren't here that I wouldn't say with you were here. Mm-hmm. So to that point, I'll say this from somebody who's with a lot of skin in the game with the women's basketball program said it on here a couple two or three weeks ago when this happened like right i mean again it's such a an odd path for you mm-hmm. to get this deal and so when this goes down like 
as far as I'm concerned, with me, I mean, at best, you get a clean slate. Absolutely. At best, mm-hmm. you got a clean slate. Over the time, what I've seen from you in how you deal with the players and deal with this and deal with that and you comfort with the media and just uh, being transparent. I, I said it here, so I want to say it to you here. I believe that uh, in quick order, you'll be contending for championships. I think Arkansas State will win championships with you coaching this program. You know, it means a lot to to hear you say that um, because, you know, obviously, you know, no one has to respect me at this point. I haven't I haven't won at the level that I know that I will. Right. So you just hope that people understand and believe you when you say that you're going to do everything that you can to set this team up for success. You know, I was a part of as a coach, assistant coach at UCA. uh, You know, we took a team to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. Well, now I have the opportunity to do that again as a head coach. And that is my goal. You know, obviously I want the kids to have a great experience and I want them to be great, you know, in the classroom. But we are here to ultimately cut down the net. That is the goal that that, that we have set our eyes on. I won't be satisfied and I probably still won't be satisfied until we do that. You know, I, I said in the last press conference after our game, people don't know this, but, you know, I'm a winner. And I never looked at myself as, you know, as I'm a loser. Although, you know, obviously we went through some 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 tough adversity this year and we ended it, you know, with a losing season. I'm not a loser and uh, I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to get this team to flip it. You know, I've been here three years and, and we haven't won like I feel like we can here. This place is a special place where you can get good kids here and you can absolutely win. I walk into the gym every day and I see those two championship banners and I tell myself, you're going to hang another one and then you're going to hang a blue one as well. So that's taking this team to the NCAA tournament for the first time. And I have, you know, belief and confidence in myself as well as the people around me and my players and the support that we uh, have that we can absolutely do that. It's been a really fun visit. Enjoyed getting to know a whole lot more about you. Is there anything else you want people to know about you before we get? Well, you, you know, Brad told y'all. You know, I am a DJ. Now I did put that to the side because. All right. So how far does this DJ career go back? You know, I um I've only been doing it for like three years. So fun fact about me, um, during COVID. Uh, there were a lot of people that were struggling and I've always wanted to be the type of person that gives back. So um, I was just kind of getting my feet wet with it, just doing a lot of practicing. Just, you know, I had a lot of time. We were in quarantine. And so um, I started going live on Facebook uh, DJing and there were a lot of DJs doing that and they were they were um, getting people to give them tips so that they could earn a living because you can't, they couldn't go out and DJ. Well, for me, I'm a coach. I don't need tips. I don't need money. So I said, whatever money people tip me, we're going to give away to people in need. And so we actually raised $27,000 going Mm. on Facebook Live DJing for people. We did all kind of music. We did uh, hip hop. We did old school. We did uh, gospel. I mean, we we did it all and uh, raised $27,000 and gave away every single penny. And so that's just kind of who I am. I want to give back to people and I want people to see that when when God tells you to do something, which he told me to do that, 
you know, uh, everybody came to me and said, you raised $27,000. Why wouldn't you keep any of that for yourself? And I said, well, it's because I believe that when you're told to do something or you feel something heavy on your spirit and you do it and you do it, you know, out of love and care for people, that it'll come back tenfold. Mm. And it's proof that 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 happened in a, a very short amount of time. So. But that's not the only way you gave back during the pandemic. I mean, right. I mean, is that not the sort of stretch where your family literally grew during the pandemic? Yeah. So, you know, I also uh, became a foster parent. I'm sure she'll be OK with me saying this, but Coach Ness that is on our uh, staff, uh, she actually uh, was in a foster care situation and she was ultimately adopted. And so after learning about her story, it made me want to uh, foster kids. And so, um, you know, just in the middle of everything, we got a phone call about twins. And uh, so we, get, ooh, I've never been a parent before. That's really and jumping in the deep end. That, that's getting back tenfold. So, yeah, that is. And so uh, we take in twins and we take them in. They're eight months old. And it's been the most beautiful experience, you know, ever. And uh, so they were doing well. And so then we were asked to take in their older brother. So then at the time, you know, he was, you know, one. So we had three under two. Going from not being a parent to being a parent of three in diapers was uh, interesting, to say the least. You know, it taught me a lot about uh, just patience. And, uh, you know, it, it's probably been one of the biggest blessings that I've I've gone through, just being able to extend uh, the love that we give them and the, the um, support that they have around them uh, with, with everybody that's involved with us. It's just been a beautiful experience. And uh, we just continue to love them and, and try to put them uh, in the best place that we can and, and just kind of go through the process. That's A-State head coach. Destiny Rogers joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinish the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Thanks again to Destiny Rogers for coming in and uh, spending an hour of her time with us on the same day that she gets officially announced as the head coach for the Arkansas State women's basketball program. And she's so transparent. She's such a breath of fresh air in that regard. And how much did we learn during the course oh of that gosh. hour? Was um, really good. One of my favorites to this point. And think about it is, is she's you know she's thirty two years old to borrow the Hamilton expression. She's young, scrappy, and hungry. She is, and she's not going to throw away her shot. No, she's not. But the the thing about it is too is like. Whether it, whether this comes with experience, we'll see. But right now, like she she has not been infiltrated by Coach Speak. If she knows it, she doesn't use it. Uh, and as she said, if you ask her a question, you're going to get the real answer. And uh, we we were pleased and uh, fortunate to get to do that for an hour. So congratulations to one of our head coaches who happens to be a female, Destiny Rogers. Want to. Congratulate another female head coach at A State. I mean the uh, the other, the other, 
our buddy MJ Davian Shaw, who won her 12th tournament in her career as A-State head coach, and that women's golf team having a really nice season. And they just won the Lady Thunderbird Invitational in St. George, Utah over the weekend. They were one of 16 teams in this event. And they go to Utah, and not only do they win, but three Red Wolves end up finishing in the top five when you can win without having the individual champion, that to me, that's almost even a little nicer. Now, I know your individuals want to be the medalist, but to go win a tournament without having it is big time. This is why if you are, uh, if you're listening to this, you're an Arkansas State fan. So if you're a golf fan to boot, and I don't say a boot like Coach MJ Davy and Shaw, to boot, mm-hmm. um, Go to a, go to the website, astateredwolves.com, get on the women's golf page, and Mark Taylor, as he is prone to do, he's updated their, you know, their program record book. Click on it. And you would think that they didn't have any data before MJ was the head coach. And it's not true. They got data going plenty far back. And they're rewriting the record book for that program. And on top of that, Olivia Schmidt is rewriting it as an individual. This kid, you go to the record book. And when you do, what you're going to see is that Olivia Schmidt's going to walk out of here as statistically the best player in the history of the program. Well, I mean, her name's up there at the top of the leaderboard every week, right there in that top five or ten. So she's having a huge career, and I'm happy for her. I'm happy for the team and certainly for – for MJ yeah, because she, we love she's MJ. done a fantastic job. She's a, a great person. Even uh, she, She's even nice enough sometimes to play golf with my wife. And, and believe me, I mean, I can't do that without wanting to have a fist fight. So the MJ can shows you a lot about her makeup. And uh, anyway, she's great, but uh, they're doing a, a great job. They've got a really good thing going. Both those golf programs do, and it's fun to see. The baseball team is at home this week trying to get back in the win column. Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, first pitch against Memphis. We usually have good crowds when Memphis is in town. And it would be nice for the Red Wolves to get a little bit of momentum going into a huge weekend series, conference opening series against a Texas State team that's 14-3. and three. And, uh, you know, they're, they're ranked in pretty much any poll you look at this week, and they should be ranked after – an extremely exciting midweek series that they played with number one Texas last week. They lost a 9-8 game on Tuesday at home in San Marcos, and then the next night went to Austin, 25 minutes down the road, won that game 6-4. to So they've got a win over number one now. On top of that 14-3 and record, this will be a huge test coming up this weekend. Yeah, you don't get to tippy-toe in. Number one, it's hard to find a place to tippy-toe into Sunbelt play, and that's only going to ramp up another notch when the league expands but you're getting kind of thrown right into the deep end you get to do it at home so hopefully that can help uh, yeah real good texas state coming in i i think uh i saw somewhere my glanced on twitter where you know the rpi came out after the weekend i think somebody's got five of the top 51 or something like that in the rpi i believe that it's a it's really a really good baseball league. fantastic league Texas State and the Red Wolves will go head-to-head Friday at 6, Saturday at 2, Sunday at 1 at Tomlinson Stadium. 
It's been a fun episode. What do we need to talk about before we get out of here? I won't rant. I'll just uh, I'll throw this out there. We it was uh, our pleasure to have Coach Rogers in here today, uh, and depending on uh, when you're listening to this, what I'm about to say may not uh, be relevant anymore. But I don't think we're done making coaching news this week at Arkansas State. I second that. I think there's more to come soon. Matter of fact, it might have already happened by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> Who knows? Well, a lot going on with A-State Athletics, and we'll be right back here to talk about it next week on our next edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.